Welcome to Bonafide, conversations in good faith about faith with Jonathan Storman. We have a breaking news story to tell you about. A plane has just crashed into the World Trade Center. Today we've had a national tragedy. Christianity, it's under siege. Study after study shows Christianity is not the force it once was. But we are going to protect Christianity. Even before COVID, a growing number of Americans were moving away from organized religions. The group called Religious Nuns has steadily grown. Hey everyone, welcome to Bonafide. Peter and I met, uh, gosh, like 20 years ago almost. No, not, <laughs> I'm 41. When did you come to the hills? I came in about about 2008. Um, I, I oh, so not 20. Not very good. <laughs> and you were you were on the college ministry leadership team at the Hills for a hot second, which is a, a Hills is a church in Fort Worth. I remember we had Mexican food food quite a few times, and you were always uh, you always struck me as a deep thinker. Peter, uh, you were getting your like PhD in literature at the time, or what was it you were getting? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I was getting my PhD in uh, in literature at the time. Hmm. And um, I one of my memories of you was I I was teaching at I can't even remember what we called that Tuesday night thing that we did. Uh, but I was teaching on like First Corinthians three and Paul saying all truth is God's truth. And talking about that, and you, you come, and I felt like that was a kind of a, a deeper lesson that I didn't know if people would get, and I don't know if many people did, but you came up and were like, man, that that opens up so many other things. That just made my heart feel happy that I was connecting with somebody on that level. But it's where where our paths diverge. <laughs> Do you remember that? I, I I remember talking to you about something. I don't remember that that detail, but I do remember kind of after after yeah. lesson, I think I did I did, I did kind of chat with you about something, but I I can't remember. It was it was a while ago, but I'm surprised you remember that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, the, then I I moved from the hills to Abilene, and we would still like I would blog and you would you would write on my blog or I would write on your post and stuff. And then some things happen and I'm not entirely sure what that is, but do you mind sharing your story from, I guess, 2010 on what, what happened in your life to change your kind of perception on faith and specifically the Christian faith that um, you were raised in? Uh, well, it's, it's, it wasn't just one thing. I think it was a series of things that kind of made me rethink uh, Christianity. The way that I've heard it described from other people kind of resonates with me. Um, like my Christianity, my following Christ was built on a foundation and I started really closely examining the pillars of that foundation. And it was kind of yeah. one by one, they kind of started falling for me until eventually there wasn't really anything there. Um, you know, there were, of course, emotional pillars, pillars of, you know, facts and, uh, you know, evidence that I thought were there, um, pillars of philosophy that I thought really um, would stand up to scrutiny. And I started really closely examining those and I think one reason why I was really examining them is because I realized that, you know, the stakes are high kind of either way, whether Christianity mm -hmm. was, was true or false. If Christianity was, was true, then there is a lot more I could be doing to, uh, to, to forward the truth of, of Christianity. And if Christianity was false yeah. and I was trying to push it being true, um, I started to see that potentially there's some um, of what I saw at the time is, you know, damage um, that I could be doing in some circles. So I think that really pushed me to closely examine Christianity. 
And at the time, you know, with the PhD in literature, one of the reasons why I was getting a PhD in literature is because C.S. Lewis got his PhD in literature. And I was thinking, you know, kind of early on in my education, I was like, you know, I'm going to be this Christian force for God in the university. I'm going to fight against these, you know, unbiblical theories and all that. And so um, I started to, you know, as I closely examined them, I started to slowly over time just be convinced by them. So Nietzsche says, if you stare into the abyss, the abyss <laughs> I'm in the abyss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I get it. I mean, the kind of secular narratives are pretty uh, compelling and it's hard there to me. And I get paid to be a professional Christian. That's the worst possible way to say it. But that's funny. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I believe I believe I believe all this, mm-hmm. but I. I mean, if I was a skeptic, I would say, and you have a vested interest in it. But the the even even in the position I'm in, the secular narratives have a kind of like they can be compelling mm-hmm. and you know very tempting. I, it, so, what yes. were the when, were the pillars? That, go ahead. I mean, I, I just gonna say that is something that that kind of surprised me when I first left Christianity. And I started, you know, having discussions with Christians I was friends with. Um, something that kind of came up surprisingly in some corners was were people expressing their own doubts who suddenly felt they had the freedom to, you know, still Christian, but still kind of felt they had the freedom to express, okay, these are some things that I've thought about. Um, and I was able to, you know, be in a position to to just have like a human back and forth discussion with them. Um, you know, we didn't really change, change each other's minds, but it was, it was, it was kind of nice to have those, you know, candid, candid conversations. Yeah. Which is what we're, we're doing. So, you know, I, a couple questions I have about the story you just said, what were the first pillars to fall when you started to look at them? Okay. There's, there's a couple of things here. There, there's one, there's, my mine was a fairly specific type of Christianity that I kind of grew up with. Um, I feel that the very first pillar to fall, I think that's kind of um, kind of a small grain of sand that resembles a lot of the other, you know, um, grains of sand that yeah. the scale for me is. Uh, when I was younger, um, I grew up Church of Christ, and. Uh, one of the teachings of Church of Christ is that you're not saved unless you're baptized. Um, so I had become aware when I was a teenager of a lot of people who seemed very sincere in their faith who hadn't been baptized. Mm-hmm. And the Bible said that you had to be baptized. So part of the doubt that was in my mind was, did these people really go to hell if they were, if they didn't? If they weren't baptized, like that doesn't make sense. But this is yeah. what the Bible says. So that that's that kind of was the first time I can really think of me doubting. Um, mm. And you know, of course, there was another time. You know, I prayed that you know somebody would get better, and they ended up passing away when I was you know probably like eleven or twelve. And I was like, that's interesting. I thought if you prayed and you had faith that that prayer was supposed to be powerful and effective like what happened um of course those things you, you obviously like, didn't pray the right words yeah <laughs> <laughs> i need it i wasn't i wasn't professional enough like, but i feel like i feel like those those things are examples of different ways that i saw you know god's supposed to work in this way and he doesn't really seem to work that way and the way that this is explained in 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 different corners seems to be explaining a way the way that it would work if god wasn't there like god being there doesn't seem to be like a necessary ingredient um if you pray and somebody dies and you say well that's god's will but somebody um else you know manages to survive and that's also God's will, then what is God really doing in that picture? Like, how is God yeah. affecting the situation either way? Um, and also just being disturbed by, you know, one of the things that studying literature does is it forces you to 
really empathize with characters in order to try to understand mm. them so you can write about them. And in doing that, you have to read about a lot of characters that aren't Christians. <laughs> and yeah, after, sure. after a while, it's like, okay, is the answer for these people really Christ? Or there, there are just too many places in the novels I was reading and the criticism I was studying where the answer of Christ just didn't seem to make sense, honestly. Um, hmm. And it almost seemed to be kind of disrupting. It, it almost seemed a way to disrupt people's lives. And sometimes what seemed to be like very emotionally, um, especially the, you know, conservative Christianity that I was part of, some emotionally traumatic ways. And so that was disturbing too. And then when I started digging into then part of my rationale for continue, continuing on in Christianity was, well, at least it's true. So I started digging into, you know, the truth of the Bible. And I started seeing that, you know, there is differences between different manuscripts. And mm -hmm. uh, the closer you get to where the events happen, the more discrepancies there are between manuscripts. Um, I started seeing that a lot of the stuff that Jesus was doing is stuff that has been, you know, reproduced in other religions. And I just started having a growing number of doubts regarding the miracles, especially when I saw how miracles were parts of other religions, other ways of thought that I yeah. disagreed with. So it was, it didn't happen all at once. It took several years and Christianity is something that I really tried to hold on to for quite a while. Um, but mm -hmm. over time, I just had to, it's actually kind of funny. I was kind of, I was teaching an apologetics course, kind of co-teaching an apologetics course, um, with a small group that was associated with the Hills church. Um, when I kind of broke down and I was like, actually, that was the second time I broke down. I think it was like a couple months before I like officially left Christianity. Um, and I put officially in quotes, I guess, but um, I told my mom because I thought it was most important to tell her first that I wasn't a Christian anymore. She was heartbroken that she had said, yes, you are. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I guess I am. Like, I'm going to try to pray about it. I'm going to try to think about it. I'm going to try to struggle with it. And I did for a couple more yeah. months. Like, I really, I really prayed about it. I was stressed out. I was crying. I was shaking. I was probably the closest to feeling suicidal that I've ever felt in my life, honestly. The fear was, that, that was in my mind, was that these doubts are coming from Satan. And mm. Satan is trying to pull me down to hell, but I can't help doubting. Like, I can't right. stop my mind from working, but it's this feeling like this, my mind is killing me. I just felt trapped in my brain, and I wanted it to end for a while. And, and there's also the thinking that you know i'm letting my family down i'm letting friends down i'm letting you know other people around me down so either i can pretend that i'm still christian and um, kind of go down that route or i can be honest about where i am and take the consequences um, and i know the way that i am um, i still am getting that way but especially then i'm a very outspoken person so i knew that if I left Christianity just the way that I am, it wasn't going to be quiet. <laughs> I was going <laughs> yeah. to, I was going to talk. So I was like, can I, can I stand being somebody who fights, you know, against the very thing that I stood for, for, for a while. And that was a very hard break, but I think it was in a, and then at the time too, you know, I was teaching at, I was teaching at Texas Christian University, um, a course that had to do with, intersections of religion and, and race. Um, I was co-leading in apologetics, you know, Bible study with my home church. And, you know, I was in the middle of a PhD program that, you know, basically thinking, okay, I'm going to be a Christian apologist. So I couldn't get away from this thinking. There wasn't a way to just like kind of walk out the door and not think about yeah. it. This is like my responsibility. So you were you were also a professional Christian for a hot, hot second. 
Uh, maybe a little you're having to think about it all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't. I feel like that's one thing. Like I feel like, and I remember being Christian, kind of jealous of that. Like there's Christians that could like not have to think about it. <laughs> like, oh, like, right, I, like yeah. they don't live in their head as much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Don't live in their head. I maybe that's a more the, a better way to put it. But I was forced to be in my head about Christianity a lot and think about it constantly mm -hmm. at a few different moments. And the view of Christianity that I had was unsustainable, and it just kind of fell apart right. in April um, of 2012. And uh, you know, I was agnostic for about a year, and I was arguing with a bunch of people. And uh, after about a year, I finally said, you know. Agnostic, I have to explain too much. I have to, you know, there's all these kind of misconceptions about where I stand. So it's easier to just tell people I'm an atheist. And so that was about 2013. Now it's 2022. It was about nine years later. And, you know, I've been an atheist for a while. Is there anything you miss? You know what? I will say that I've been to church a couple times. So I went to a Unitarian church um, a couple times. The ritual doesn't resonate with, like, where everybody's saying the same thing. That doesn't really resonate with me. But I do like the community. Um, yeah. I do like the singing. Um, so I guess those are a couple things that I miss. And I was with somebody who was Christian. I did. I was in a relationship with somebody for a few years who was Christian. Um, I. Sometimes enjoy it, like looking at Christianity through her eyes, I guess. Mm. And I can think that extends sometimes to other people. Like, I don't think God is real. I don't think Christianity is real. But I do, I do think that people are real, and their emotions are real, and their feelings and perspectives mm. are real. And so, I mean, I know that I can experience or have empathy or some connection to those feelings and emotions, even if I don't have them myself, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. There's actually a book. Have you heard of Unapologetic by Francis Buford? No. He's a uh, Christian, then atheist, then Christian again, and he's in England, and he swears a ton in it. But it's unapologetic how despite everything, Christianity still makes surprising emotional sense. And he's a novelist, so he it, it's the book is beautiful, but he talks about how one of the reasons he was drawn back to it was the kind of moral language and emotional matrix that it gave him to make sense of his own life and internal world. Um, I, I commend that book to you. I think you would like it. I have so many questions. One. Do you miss any songs from church? You you said you like miss you like the singing. I miss Is there any singing. Songs I don't like? know if I miss. I'll be honest with you. Um, I don't know how much I miss some of the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I miss. I, I do yeah. miss. But the but the idea of people getting together and singing like I was at a Unitarian yeah. Universalist church the other day and people were singing songs that I guess most Christians would describe as secular. And I kind of felt yeah. that I was like, I've, I've really missed this. Like, I have missed yeah. people coming together and just singing. You know, if, if going to church, like some, some, place, some place you go to uh, go to church and it's like, you know, an all out rock concert, like, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, you can get that. You can get that in a few places, I guess, um, mm -hmm. that, that, that feeling. But I do... There is something about that sense of community and people singing together that I'm like, okay, that is, that's, even if I'm, even if the lyrics don't necessarily resonate with me, I can see the value in that. And there is an element of that that I miss. We both grew up Church of Christ, which is, for those of you listening that don't know, it, uh, somewhat of the Taliban of Christianity, <laughs> like we're very the conservative branch and but i love our people and i love that kind of tribe there's a lot of downsides and a lot of good sides to it as well but singing is one of our things and so yeah, we've and always the, the had way, to listen to each other 
how 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 seriously the Church of Christ takes acapella as far as like the different parts and everything and harmony. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a discipline of listening too, because in order to sing, you have to listen, and that that kind of practice I think shapes you as a person. Here's a question for you. So I'm a pastor, and I I live in my head all the time. I'm I I read the books. I, you know, I I try to give, um, the new I gave the new atheist a a shot. I didn't think they, there are good reasons to not believe in God. I don't think those guys knew what they were. Okay. Um, but I wonder if you could go because the the you being suicidal during that time makes me really sad. Uh. I mean, I always knew, for, let me say a couple of things here and then I'll, I'll get to the question there. I've worked with a lot of people who have kind of deconstructed their faith and, and a lot of them kind of come back to a different, a different, more robust version of faith. And a lot of them have walked away from faith altogether, but there tend to be two different kinds of doubt. Uh, one is, is it true? And the other is, is it worth it? And the second kind of doubt often hides behind the first. So, like, I would hear people say stuff about, you know, textual criticism or whatever, and I'd ask a couple questions and be like, are you just wanting to sleep with your girlfriend? I mean, that was because that was beneath the thing. But with with you, it was never that. Like, I got the feeling that you were just so in pursuit of truth all the time that and and here's here's my I'm circling to my question. The Christian tradition is filled with like a very deep intellectual, robust intellectual tradition. And I think American evangelical Christianity is just often very shallow and superficial. Like, you know, you, you come up with a question about textual criticism or whatever, and people respond with, there's a God-shaped hole inside your heart, or the devil's trying to get you. There's a lot of different reasons people deconstruct. Yours is one of the most intellectual spiritual journeys of deconstruction that I have been a part of. How would you give counsel to a person in my situation, which I hope is listening, other pastors and preachers out there? I think in every youth group, there's kids that are intellectual. What would you say to welcome conversations that are not going to make them go to have suicidal ideations um, and welcome kind of like, hey, man, I thought this stuff too. You don't have to think you're going to be in this alone. And then follow-up question, is there a time for a person like me to help reconstruct with things like Thomas Aquinas or the Desert Fathers? Uh. I mean, I think my situation was kind of different as far as, you know, the suicidal allegation. I think that that, I think, I think that my situation is kind of different because of a ton of, a lot of factors, um, you know, the way that I was raised, where I felt my allegiances were. And I think they went honestly beyond, beyond my church and also towards, you know, connections with family, but also myself and my own intentions it wasn't really you know if you I, I think that some of it is inescapable like if you do believe in uh, in a hell or some type of you know negative version of an afterlife I think that that is something that it's unavoidable that that's going to cause some anxiety especially when somebody feels like they're heading towards that I, I don't know if this directly answers your question but one thing that does bother me a little bit in the pulpit is the way that non-believers are oftentimes talked about and in very mm. negative ways. And um, I feel that a lot of times there's, you know, talking without kind of, to go back to your point um, earlier, there's a lot of times there's talking without necessarily listening. Um, mm. And uh, I think that one good step is to listen. Now, if you're asking me, I don't know if this is behind the question, um, 
So my apologies, but if part of the question is, how do I keep these, how do I keep these people believers? Obviously my answer is going to be biased. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I'd love to hear the biased answer. I, I, my answer is biased too. Like, I think here's, here's my, my just straight shooting take with it. I think people walk away from Christianity, not knowing what the real thing is. And so like, when you talk about hell and, and those kind of things, I, I would probably walk away from the kind of Christianity you're walking away from too. People like the Desert Fathers, who were the they're the forerunners of the modern psychological movement. Like they neuroscience is catching up with the Desert Fathers today. Um, they Christianity has a robust intellectual tradition, and there's universalism in Christian the Christian tradition, and it's not like a marginal thing either. There's also the, – the Christian tradition is a big tent, and American evangelicalism is a small portion of that tent. I'm careful there because I don't want to be like an elitist snob to American evangelicals, of which a lot of my church is, because I do think one of the great divides in America right now is education. But in every youth group, there's going to be a Peter, uh, somebody who is a, a kind of deep thinker and needs exposure to at least know the best ideas of Christianity before they walk away from it. So they can know I, I'm, I'm walking away from that because of X, Y, and Z, not because of this low hanging fruit that like, like Trump, for example, right. like Trump does right. not speak for me or Jesus or anybody. A lot of times people have done that and I, I get like trauma and wounds and all that, but yours is more of an intellectual journey. That's made me, wonder like if when you were in high school somebody would have slid across the table gk chesterton or well you said c.s lewis and he's pretty deep waters have you read the great divorce yes yes i i mean i think that's the most compelling kind of image of some kind of eternal life that honors human dignity um in the form of a, a parable but I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I w I would like to have given teenage Peter. Right. Would that I mean, be well received by adult Peter? Would you I, even let's say you're still an atheist, uh, but in high school, your pastor was giving you, you know, hey, this is not that like so, Baptists aren't going to hell because they didn't get this right. This is kind of difficult because. There is a particular Christianity that a lot of people, a lot of Christians don't have that I was in that I left. And that's a very specific small corner of Christianity. So I guess the question is, one question is, okay, I left that small part of Christianity. Is it because I was missing out on all the Christianity had to offer? Christianity has a robust intellectual tradition Christianity has a lot of answers to the questions that I was having that have been that have been offered. Um, Christianity has a, a robust emotional support for several different directions that I was that I was thinking when I was struggling with faith. So it seems like one concern would be like if I could go back to before I left Christianity and I had more exposure to Christianity outside of, I guess, my bubble, then even if I have, you know, that exposure now as, a, as an atheist, um, would I, could I possibly have then have remained Christian and maybe deconstructed it and then kind of reconstructed it in something that, you know, more, more fit? Or is that a possibility for me now? Um... I'll try not to be too argumentative here. <laughs> this is not the first time that I've heard something like this, right? So I feel that over yeah. the last, so about roughly about a decade um, that I've been atheist or agnostic um, and been in a lot of debates with Christians over that time. Uh, Christians of different yeah. stripes coming from the liberal to the conservative. 
side of things. Um, oftentimes discussions will go towards trying to diagnose what kind of Christian I was and then saying, okay, well, because you were that type of Christian that you left and not this other type of Christian. So this is not, this, this is something that kind of comes up on a fairly regular basis in these, in these kinds of discussions. Does it feel dismissive or what, what's it come across as? I mean, in a way it's a fair criticism because atheists do it on the other side sometimes. Like somebody who, like somebody who was atheist and then they became Christian is like, okay, were they really an atheist? Do they really look at, you know, the negative <laughs> stuff? So grateful you said that. Cause I think that's true. I think that's human nature, right? Like, right. oh, they weren't really a part of our tribe. They weren't but, really unsaved. <laughs> I think so. So I mean, to be fair, atheists do it too. So I I think that what I try to concentrate on in those discussions is okay. What we're really debating about is whether or not this is true. So sometimes I have said in different discussions, like you know, I grew up homeschooled, right? Um, I was homeschooled K through twelve, like the best of us, right? Yeah, <laughs> like you know, I was homeschooled too. Yeah, yeah, I think I remember that. Um, yeah. And then, did you did you go to LTC? What's LTC? Leadership oh, you don't know what LTC is? Leadership Trainer for Christ. Did you go to Lads yeah, for I, Leaders I, or something like that? I spoke at Lads for Leaders once or something like that. I, so I grew up in the anti churches of Christ, which okay. was like the anti Bible school, and so my my i would y'all were sectarian like you didn't think baptists were going to heaven i didn't think you were going to heaven oh, so right so yeah that's <laughs> no like like uh so i grew so you know i grew up i probably like my parents had me memorize hundreds of verses growing up through like yeah. Um, my dad had me read C.S. Lewis. He had me read Francis Schaeffer. Um, he... Oh, that's the questions I'm asking. That that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like, right? Because that is that is a bit more of the robust. And you're not you're not like walking away from chicken soup for the soul. I mean, that's you're hitting and you're bumping into some of the stuff that we. I mean, maybe, really... but here's here's okay. This is the this is the very biased way to looking at it, and I think. Any Christian that hears this is going to hate me for saying this, but me being on the other side, it's all, I mean, this is the way I'm going to look at it anyway, right? Like, if you, if an atheist came to the Christian side, you'd be like, ah, I looked at atheism, and I got deep into mm -hmm. it, and I found out that it was one thing, and so I became a Christian. Well, I kind of come from a similar perspective on the Christian side that, you know. Right. Um it sounds really like, you know, inappropriately prideful to say, but I'll just say, in spite of the fact that I know I didn't read everything, the way it feels is you heard that song Crazy by Gnarls Barkley, you know, it wasn't right, because right. I didn't know enough, I just knew too much. Like, yeah. that's how it felt. It was like, it's not my lack yeah. of knowledge about Christianity that is making me walk away. It is the degree to which I know about Christianity at this point that is making me walk away. I know I get it. I mean, my the counter take would be, I think God is an infinite mystery and that the more you grow, the more come to know him. But do you, there's all kinds of landmines to these conversations. So if something's offensive, just say that's offensive. Because I'm trying for us, because we're friends, we can model right. learning how to talk about this to each other. Do you think you ever had like a authentic religious experience that wasn't in your head? I don't know what that means. I'm sorry. So yeah, I don't either. <laughs> so authentic religious um, experience, like obviously going back now, I would say that those are sure. Credits, but... but at the time, did it feel like um, outside of like information about God? Was there ever a moment that it wasn't like socially constructed so you could tell people like, oh yeah, it was, you know, I got goosebumps or however, but just like, did you ever feel like you heard God's voice or something that happened like that? I did. 
I kind of had a constant kind of monologue in my head that I interpreted as God speaking to me. And that didn't mm. go away necessarily after I left Christianity, but I think I reinterpreted that as that's just me speaking to myself. Like, I, that's just me speaking to mm -hmm. myself. But I feel like, or maybe that's internalized after. Like, it's hard to, it's a hard question to answer because at the time, if you were to ask me in 2010, 2011, 2009, um, I would have said absolutely yes. And I would have believed that, like, with all my heart. It wouldn't be a lie. It would be, like, actually mm -hmm. my truth. Obviously, now I have a different perspective. But... Yeah, sure. So, so it's a hard question ever, to answer, I guess. Um, I would imagine maybe less so now that you're 10 years or 9 years into walking away from the Christian faith. But do you ever accidentally pray? I have. I think it's funny that you asked that. I have prayed. Um, and I did kind of write about this a little bit. So I had this blog. Um, a Do you, are you still blogging? I'm not blogging these days, but I had this blog um, that I kind of had because I would have these discussions with Christians, like including Christians close to me, you know, family members and stuff. But I didn't feel, I felt like, you know, after a while you feel like you're in this glass cage trying to talk to people and they don't hear what you're saying. So it was just like, yeah. I, I started talking to other atheists and because we're kind of few and far between. Um, I mean, you know, atheists are about, I think 3% of the U.S. population. The non-religious side is a lot higher than that. But yeah, the atheists, all, that group is skyrocketing. Yeah, but the atheist, but the atheist like subcategory um if you look at the entire United States in comparison to the entire United States, is I think still about, maybe it's gone up to about 5%, but it's not very high. So there's not a lot of us um, versus mm -hmm. the Christian. I think it's still in the seventies. Um, you may know more than, but, more than I do, but. Um, it's in, it, where Christians in America are now a minority. Like they're. No, that can't be right. <laughs> No, no, that's true. As far as church going, uh, yeah. Oh, church going. Thing. But if you got, but the church. people who you're gonna go up to and ask, are you Christian? I think that's still the majority. So, and here's one of the things. This is one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast. Uh, there was an Atlantic article in 2016 that said the people who are you're talking about the gap between the church going and the, you know, the yeah, I'm Christian. I'm on a Facebook group. Those are the Trump supporters, and I, I like listen. If you voted for Trump, I you could I don't I'm not trying to throw shade on you, but I'm trying to explain to nuns who are walking away from faith because of, the, of supporting Trump, like hey, if you leave church because you're worried about those people and you go to Starbucks on a Sunday morning, you're more likely to bump into the people you're trying to avoid than you are at church well here's the interesting thing so, though it's not the evangelicals who are leaving church right according to the stats like the pew forum you're talking about mainline like uh protestant denominations or are yeah like more? overall like the the evangelicals according to like pew forum statistics like the 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 um the more conservative side of church it's not it's not them that are leaving the faith at nearly the same rate as like the more liberal side yeah, I think that that's been true for a few decades. But what's interesting now, evangelicals are also starting to take a dip. Um, we're a minority, and you wouldn't know anything about being a minority in America. <laughs> okay, uh, church-going Christians. Okay, so but still probably, but 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 my point is that I was uh, get, kind of going back to. So I started reaching out online. I had this blog on the site called Pathios. And I would kind of write there, and I think, you know, I, get, I was fairly aggressive in promoting it and to, you know, get readers. And I got about a million readers in a year. Whoa! Um, yeah. Dude, I blogged on Patheos too, and I had tens of views. <laughs> like I Yeah, read, I mean, I, I did. Always, you're good with words, and, and you're kind of, you know, I could see your logic and I, I thought you had some really good points, but and I was really I aggressive didn't, about promoting it. Like I wanted to connect. You're with very evangelistic. That was part of it. Yeah. 
But I was the I was what you would call an anti theist. Like I came out of Christianity like a bat out of hell. Like I was I was furious, <laughs> I was angry, I felt like mm-hmm. I had been tricked all of these years. I was going to try to convince yeah. all these other and I felt that if people left Christianity, the world would be a better place. All you needed to do and I think that yeah. was part of the new atheist movement, that if people left yeah. Christianity, the world would ultimately be a better place. And I was working on writing a dissertation at the time and losing interest at the time in to some extent in in literature um and you know there was a point i was going through a difficult time in my life where i was trying to you know finish up my dissertation i was trying to keep up the blog i was trying to speak over here i was trying to hold down two part-time jobs adjuncting at one university and being basically the writing center at another like I was I was pulled in all these and I had to write about 40 to 50 pages of a dissertation in about four weeks or so. So it's just like is mm. all this pressure I was feeling. Maybe I'm exaggerating some of it, but it, some of that, but it was it was a lot for me and I needed something. I didn't have time to therapy for therapy. I didn't have time for, you know, the, the mental health stuff of it all. So just like, you know, what, what did I rely on back in the day while I prayed? And so, yeah, I did. I think that was the time that I sincerely prayed and I didn't pray. I think to the biblical God, I prayed to like, it was a device. It was something to keep me working. It was like, you know, therapy. So it was just like, you know, I prayed to something maybe like Spinoza's God, like the universe or something kind of yeah it wouldn't make sense probably to most people listening but like um you still believe in the transcendent yeah something would you something something that i felt part of something that i felt like maybe a pantheistic kind of connection i guess and that got me through three or four weeks and then Mm -hmm. after that was done i just kind of snapped back to to normal but i did write on my blog Mm. that after experiencing that i couldn't be an anti-theist anymore i could see how some people could get a comfort from something that they call god and there was other things too like you know there there were things going on in the atheist community that were pretty disturbing and resembled a lot of the you know i'm sure that you've been in the church long enough to see that there's sometimes a little corruption Every time you get, oh yeah, that yeah. Big. and that same thing is happening sure. in atheism. So I was like, you know, yeah. if everybody is atheist, that doesn't mean that there's going to automatically be a better world. It's more complex than that. And I started to see that there are Christians that I had more in common with, as far as you know, social stuff, than I did with a lot of atheists. Like there are a surprising number of atheists, atheists who are Trump supporters, and um, that was very mm-hmm. discouraging, and who are racist, and you know. Uh, yeah. and stuff like that. So I was just like, after some time, I was just like, I'm an atheist. And yeah, if you want to debate about the Bible with me, I like a good debate, sure. But as long as you're not hurting people, um, and I know we might disagree about what hurting people is based on our ideologies, but the bottom line is as long as you're right, not sure. hurting people, okay. Like we can, we can, we can get along. We can build a bridge. And there have been times when Christians that I've cared about have been going through a very difficult time. They know about my past as a Christian. They know that, you know, I can still feel their emotions and their perspective. And, you know, there have been, and I think any atheist listening to this would kill me for saying <laughs> saying this. But there have been a couple occasions when a Christian was going through a very difficult time. They knew I was an atheist and. You know, I went into their like perspective or space and and held their hand and prayed for them, prayed with them. Mm. I mean, so wow. prayed, yes, but I think that it's important for me to be honest. Like, do I like believe in the Christian God, or do I really like factually believe it, or is it more like this mental device that I use sometimes? I think it's important to be yeah. honest with people, just like I'm not going to go to a church sure. and communion because I feel like it's dishonest. I think it's important to be honest with people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't 
I don't believe it, even if I yeah. it does. Sometimes, if even if I do feel like I have some understanding of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, but I, man, I am impressed with what you just told me. I mean, I I can't imagine doing that on the other side. Like, um, I don't. Do you remember Talladega Nights? I can't imagine being like Will Ferrell, like. Help me, Oprah Winfrey. Help me, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. <laughs> it, it, it did upset a lot of atheists, and I feel like a lot of atheists don't necessarily understand it. And that's one thing: like atheism, people think that atheists have a church or that they have like a, they have official a spokesperson, or that right. you know we all like you know pray to a statue of Christopher Hitchens every night, but like. <laughs> It's it, the only thing atheism is, is it's like it's not doing something. There's been a lot of atheist groups that have stumbled on this. Like, how do you create community out of not doing something? Like, say you have a bunch yeah. of people who are not, like, you probably heard this analogy before, but say you have a bunch of people who are not golfers and everybody around them golfs. And so you have like the non golfers club. Well, that's kind of nice for like the first couple months, but after a while, it's like, okay, we don't golf. So like what yeah. there's 24 <laughs> what hours yeah. in a day, there's seven days a week. Like, what are you, and people are, some people are going to play badminton. Some people are going to play video games. Yeah. Some people are going to bike. Like it's not, there's no orthodoxy. Yeah, I remember Peter, when you first came out of Christianity, like that bat out of hell, because uh, the I was in Abilene and our interactions were on social media. And at first I was like, what is going on? Like, so Peter, I guess you're no longer in the Hills College Leadership Ministry team. My interaction with you was one of the things that got me off Facebook on a regular basis. And it wasn't because of you. It was because of how our conversation went sideways. And I thought, this is not the tool that I thought it was. Like, I, I think I like came across more harsh or more aggressive than I, I wanted to. Now, this was back in like 2013 or 14 or something. We had that Zoom and we kind of talked. Do you remember that? I think so. Yeah. I mean, in all fairness, like. You probably had that with a lot of people. I don't remember that. I talked about Nietzsche. Huh. Um, I, I like Nietzsche a lot. He's my favorite atheist. Really? Um, Why do you like Nietzsche? Oh, that's a totally different podcast. <laughs> I'm back and do another one, but uh, I, short answer to that would be this question: Do you think the world would be better or worse if Jesus of Nazareth had never been born? I don't know how to answer that question. Nietzsche does. He hates Jesus, and for all the right reasons. Um. There's a book called Genealogy of Morals that he wrote, right. and I think I think have you read that? Uh, I've read parts of it. I haven't read the whole thing. He calls Christianity a slave religion, a religion yeah, for the yeah, weak and with women. Um, the only moment of nobility in the whole New Testament is Pilate and Jesus, and Pilate won that argument. What is truth? I'll tell you, Jesus. Truth is my will to power. Truth is I can kill you, and I'm going to. That's truth. So Nietzsche's thing, without without the Christian metaphysics, there's no Christian ethics. So stop acting like you're a Christian. Like, he he was preaching that 200 years ago. And, you know, this is where we would disagree. Because I think once you start getting into the Christian ethics, people are like, no, you know, um, I, I, I want to keep that. But and Nietzsche would say, no, you're still a Christian. I, that's another podcast. Do you miss God, do you ever miss that? Like, let me ask it another way. If you could snap your fingers and go back to the faith without the doubt, would you do it? No. Do you want? Do you want to believe in God? Uh, it's a hard one because for so long you think I th I've thought about like what actually exists and what doesn't, not not what. What, not what I would prefer to be the case. I guess yeah. if the God of the Bible existed, I would have questions, especially yeah. the Old Testament. Like, 
Mm. Um, kill men, women, and children. Uh, mm. That's morality. Okay. I, 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 I was, but if that was the truth, that was the truth. I would, I would try yeah. to figure out a way to, you know, live with that and, and work with it. Um, that's a hard question. Would it? So, so basically, your, it seems like your question is. Would I prefer if I could snap my fingers and I could go back to the faith? So would this God actually exist? I guess that would be the big the big thing for me. Like if I could snap my fingers and believe in God and God actually existed, I would think about it. But if I could believe in God and God didn't exist, I wouldn't want to go back. I think I think that if God mm. doesn't exist, I feel like I would be one of those that I'm one of those that even if the news is bad, I want to know. <laughs> like, Man, I love that. I love that answer, Peter. I I think I would like to be that guy. Um, I think that's that's a really good answer. Do you know about the Christian tradition of atheism? Like how it's got its roots in the Christian tradition. Is that uh, have you heard of that? Anybody make that case to you? You've heard Dawkins say it like this. Dawkins says, Every, nobody believes in Zeus. There are thousands of gods that you don't believe in. I just believe in one less god. Right, right. Right? So um, there's a book by this historian named Larry Hurtado called Destroyers of the Gods. And, um, and then there's another book by David Bentley Hart called – it's unfortunately titled, and I'm sorry because it's offensive. It's called Atheist Illusions, but it's actually a much better book than its title. And these guys are pretty heavy hitters intellectually, and here's their case. Not that you have to buy into it, but I, I did. Vested interest, you know, get a professional Christian, all that. But it, the basic gist of it is, is the atheist tradition has its roots in Christianity. So, like, science um, has its roots in Christianity, um, you know, Western Renaissance, Protestant Reformation, all this stuff. But it, it is rooted in Christians disenchanting the ancient world of its metaphysics. Like, so there's, like, this really cool story in Destroyers of the Gods where this Christian in the second century, whenever they would go into the Greco-Roman world there's all these statues right and the people are terrified of the statues because those are the living you know those are gods of athena or oh by the way athena was the god of racism athens like us we um uh apollo uh aphrodite the god of sexuality and so aphrodite was actually the goddess here and everybody was terrified of her because if you pissed off aphrodite then you wouldn't have kids or your husband would leave you or whatever um and this woman who was in her 30s walked up to the statue of aphrodite that everybody's terrified of and chisels a cross in her forehead which is like just a big you know like yeah, you you don't exist yeah so there it was a disenchantment of the ancient world based in another kind of enchantment and their argument which i buy into is that secular the secular world is another kind of enchantment that is disenchanting Christianity. You, you don't have a choice to not be enchanted. You have a choice of which enchantment you will choose. So whenever, and then this little Ted talk is over, whenever um, people start talking about ultimate reality and what their take on it is, it's always like, it sounds bizarre. So if I was trying to pick on Christians, I would say, Okay, so God speaks in seven days and creates this, which obviously took millions of years. Science is pretty solid. Then there's a garden and two naked people and a talking snake and, you know, all this stuff. But if I was trying to pick on the secular version of reality, when y'all talk about ultimate reality, it's like 13.8 billion years ago, there was a singularity. And then one thing led to another and Taylor Swift dropped the red album. You know what I mean? Yeah. So choose your enchantment. Yeah, yeah, I definitely hear you there. And I think I think that's one thing that as I left Christianity, I kind of was like, okay, then 
I know that Christianity is not true, then what is true? And I started looking at physics and I was like, wow, <laughs> this is like, <laughs> yeah. there's some crazy stuff out there that seemed crazy to me. But I think that trying to come up with a definition of truth, truth to me these days is a theory that best predicts what's going to happen next. So if you have a theory that on a fairly consistent basis can predict what will happen next, then I tend to consider that more truth than a theory that doesn't have that predictive power because the importance of truth is for you to you know be able to anticipate consequences for you to be able to mm. live in the world effectively for you to you know know if not only if certain things exist but if they'll make an impact on your life in the present and in the future you know that type of thing yeah so um regardless that's of good how that's good out there it may sound if it has predictive power on a consistent basis, then I would be willing to say, okay, that's that's true. Until it's proven huh. not to have that predictive power. What you're describing is the scientific method, right? Like, because the scientific method is, it, it science has been wildly successful. And, you know, any Christians who are against science, I think are wrong. I mean, it came from, Jesus people who were trying to understand the world universities come from the idea of trying to understand God's universe you know the more facts the merrier but the scientific method has been i think overplayed in the sense of there's some things that you can't know through that method and this is where christianity i think would fall into that category of being true for you um specifically with our one fact that is undeniable it's the one fact we have empirical evidence for which is sin um and the kind of granular way that christians over 2000 years have been able to drill down into human nature uh I, it was one of the bedrock things for me that never went away like i don't know of something more true than an in-depth study of the seven deadly sins that you will learn more about yourself and the world you're in by looking at the seven deadly sins, whether you believe in God or not. Although they would probably say the desert fathers would probably say, uh, if you kill pride, you'll believe in God. That's offensive. But let me back that up. Let, no, that's just, fine, that's fine. Take that one back. But like the seven deadly sins for me, it, it's helped understand so much and been predictive. Like, okay, well, if you, if you are full of greed, you'll never have enough. If you are full of sloth, you might be a workaholic. Does that resonate with you at all? Or is it just a different kind of like um, truth that doesn't really have a pull on you? You're trying to keep this podcast to an hour, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah. No, I want you to respond to that. Okay, we'll, so I think we'll I, th I think the question I would ask with, with sin would be: Do we need God to determine what sin is? Like, is sin sin? Because this is the age-old dilemma, right? Is sin sin? Because God said that it was sin, in which case anything that God says is sin just happens to be sin. It doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to make logical sense. Mm. It's just God said, kill men, women, and children. You just stop there. That just suddenly becomes right because God said so. Or is sin sin because logically it will lead to negative consequences? If sin is sin because logically it will lead to negative consequences, then what do we need God for? We just need to figure out what the consequences are and just try to keep those consequences positive. If sin is sin because it's just sin because God said so, then we don't need the whole like, that whole like consequences piece of things kind of gets in the way. It's not necessary. You can throw it out because sin is sin just based on whether God says it's sin or not. So with the seven with the, with the seven cents, like wherever you're defining sin, I guess that would be my question. Like, are there things like, you know, do not murder? Okay. Yeah. 
I don't think murder is a good idea. I think ultimately it's going to result in, you know, negative consequences for humanity. And I have a sense of empathy and I don't like murder. We can agree on that and we can make laws that are outlawing murder. And we can say murder is wrong because of these negative consequences. What do we need God for? But if you insert God in the picture, like what what is what new is he adding to the information? And usually what I hear from Christians a lot of times is, well, God adds consequences in it. Like if you if you if you murder and you don't repent, then you're going to experience negative consequences. But that just sounds to me like might makes right. Yeah, that's the wrong answer. I would say, and I think this is squarely within the Christian tradition, even if it's poorly represented today popularly. Um, God is not the limit of our joy. He is the source of it. And so people are not punished by their, for their sins. They're punished by their sins. And it's kind of the logic you were just using. Like you take a person's life and it, it's going to destroy your soul. It'll also end, end someone else's life and destroy their families and all kinds of grief and sadness. But you're not punished for sins. You're punished by them. And that's what makes, you know, like there's another level of this conversation with God commanding the murder of women, children, and men that we can get into in the next podcast that we have if you want. But outside of those like kind of red herring parts of the Old Testament that, you know, are tough to wrestle with, but not really representative of the entire scriptures and definitely not representative of Jesus of Nazareth. Um I, I think this is what, you know, like if you're talking to Thomas Aquinas or Chesterton or C.S. Lewis, I think this is what they would say. God is the source of our joy, not the limit of it. And you're not punished uh, for your sins. Like God's not the consequence. The sin is the consequence. Does that make sense? Yeah, but if the sin is the consequence, then what do you need God? What? Why is God a necessary part of? The overall theory is that so this is where it goes from being an intellectual thing to an existential thing you know i i believe and i really do believe this even when i have my doubts and after i've deconstructed um i believe god is not an idea god is in whom we live and move and have our being every breath you take is god saying yes to your existence he is the source of your joy so it's a categorical error almost like god's necessity is not to make an, a math problem or an intellectual equation work. God is the source of existence and in him we live and move and have our being. But that's the, I, I bring that up because I feel maybe, maybe this is not what you were doing, but I've, I've, I've seen, and maybe this is like one of those knee jerk reaction things is, but I've seen a lot of places where people say, well, you need God because how else do you explain sin? Uh, oh, no, no. So You're saying like, there. so that is Nietzsche's move. Uh, okay. Nietzsche would say about your murder thing, like, oh, stop being Christian. Like, this is why you, you should read Nietzsche. I think I think Nietzsche is the most, uh, like, he's just so freaking genius. And he's a good writer, too. I am worried that I will convert people to Nietzscheism because I want people, if you're a secular humanist, I want you to be a secular humanist, not a Nietzschean, but um, I do think Nietzsche, I think it's either Jesus or Nietzsche in the end. And I don't think, this is kind of my my take on stuff, it's a little bleak, but I don't think our great grandkids are going to have the same values that uh, we currently take for granted. And it it's kind of like that, what you discovered about community of not golfers well what do we have in common i think the philosophies that are out there that make the most sense right now are running on the fumes of christian humanism and when you know i think even stuff like since we've talked about trump and uh, let's let's say also the other far left you know extremists kill the trump supporters or whatever I think when the smoke clears from that, a Nietzschean philosophy, will to power, do what has to be done, create the kind of utopia we want. See, I, I, think, I, I think that that's, that's a possibility. I think I think part of what Nietzsche was going, and of course, uh, 
Hitler, you know, kind of abused mm-hmm. Nietzsche and, and uh, Martin Luther and, and Christianity yeah. and other sure. in general. But I feel like I feel like the one of the places Nietzsche was going was God is dead, and in the absence of God, it's humans who must then realize that we have the full uh, responsibility. That's right. Uh, to uh, determine our, our moral direction. And so I think, I think to some extent, I agree with that, like, mm-hmm. okay, God is dead. And so we have to determine morality for ourselves as humanity. But I think another thing Nietzsche was kind of saying too, is that God is already dead. A lot of people just haven't realized it yet. That's so right. That's they, right. Yeah. So, so they're, so they're kind of operating as if God is still alive when they are the ones who both created him and you know he's he's actually not there but people are still acting as if he's there i mean i i i I would agree oh that's right that's a that's a good take on nature so my friend peter i want to have you back because this this is fun for me and it's also refreshing because i feel like you care deeply about truth and we're able to have a conversation that I think needs to be had and you can't have it on social media and yeah this was um, a good discussion i wasn't i'll be honest i wasn't sure how it would go I, I, you know every time you know christian atheists kind of have a have a conversation you don't know how it's going to end up so uh, yeah I appreciate, it. I appreciate you too man i've always like i said i always thought fondly of you and i'm grateful for your friendship in decades past and then and then now the kind of conversations and being able to talk candidly. Thanks for listening to Bonafide. If you like what you've heard, please share with your friends and review on whatever platform you get your podcasts.